0: I think a good way to start today would be just let's proclaim that truth. I am a child of God. Would you say it with me? I am a child of God. One more time. I am a child of God. He's our Father. We come today to celebrate our Father who paid a price of His only Son to redeem us from the grave, snatch us from hell, from the fire itself. Today we open up chapter 16 of this marvelous book called the book of Acts. Chapter 16, and today Luke's going to introduce us to a new character. His name is Timothy. As Paul prepares his second missionary journey into the Gentile world, a journey that impacted us in this room. I'll show you that in a little while. Paul, again, is going back to the churches in the towns that he had previously established. So he's starting his second journey, and he's going back to the churches that he started in the first journey. He's going back to encourage, and he's going back to see if the people have remained faithful to the Word. It's important that he goes back to follow up to make sure they're holding true to the Word of God. But I ask you a question. These towns that he's going back to didn't all receive him with open arms. Some of those towns didn't want him in those towns. Is this safe? Acts 16, verse 1. Here we go. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer but his father was Greek, or you would say Gentiles. And let me, let me stop and say something at this point. If you're a visitor with us today and you're not here on a regular basis, I want you to know every scripture I plan to use today is on the back of the bulletin. I put them all on there so you can research them yourself. As we go through, you'll see words on the screen that are highlighted in yellow. Those are the blanks on the back of the bulletin. Go ahead, see if you can keep up with me. Try His mother was a Jewish believer, this Timothy, but his father was a Greek, or you could say a Gentile, non-Jewish. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. First, do you remember what happened the first time Paul went to Lystra? Hasn't been very many weeks ago we talked about that. The first time Paul went to Lystra, they stoned him and drug his lifeless body out of town, thinking they had killed him. So why in the world would he go back to Lystra? Now, I I look around the room today, and y'all are pretty smart people. If you went to a town and they stoned you and drug you out, and i got to use the word stone has a different meaning then than today. (laughs) If they stoned you with rocks and drug you out of town would you be likely to go back there? Is this safe? Paul has the nerve to go back to Lystra, and there he meets a young man that quite frankly would be life-changing for both of them. His name is Timothy. Timothy's mother was a Jewish believer. We would call her today, in, in our terms, modern terms, a Messianic Jew. She was Jewish by birth, but she... Believed Jesus to be the Messiah. But Timothy's father was a Gentile, a Greek, which, meant, which would make Timothy, from a Jewish perspective, of mixed race, non-Jewish. That's a problem. Timothy and his mother had likely become believers when Paul made his first trip to Lystra. Now I want you to notice something. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And when he arrives back in Lystra, he finds believers. How did they become believers? They became believers because he's already been there once, proclaiming the gospel of Christ, and they have received Christ. Now he's on his second trip, and he's finding believers. Timothy was going to become like a son to Paul. He would become a lifelong companion. In fact, what's interesting to me is... Timothy would be with Paul all the way to the end, literally. In fact, the last recorded writing of the Apostle Paul, he's in a Roman prison and they're about to cut his head off. You know what the last writing recorded in the New Testament is? Second Timothy, his second letter to the young man that he's meeting in today's text of Acts 16. It wasn't just Paul that would have a great influence on Timothy's life. His mother and his grandmother taught him the Scriptures. His mother and his, gran- and his grandmother. It's not like Paul was the only influence in his life. You know how important mothers and grandmothers in the room today. Let me tell you, today's text clearly describes the power you have over your children's future. They taught Timothy the Scripture at a young age. In fact, let me read that. I want to go over to 2 Timothy. Let's pause on the book of Acts, chapter 16. Go to 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy and says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that that same faith continues strong in you. I wonder, I can't help but wonder when I read this, If Grandmother Lois, Timothy's grandmother, was one of the first to respond to the Apostle Paul's teaching during the first missionary journey. The power now has affected multiple generations. The grandmother has taught the mother who has now taught the son. Three generations. Paul would later challenge Timothy to continue in the faith, that he first found through the Gospel from his grandmother and from his mother. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3.14. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures. He's talking to Timothy. Paul, late in his life, near the end of his life, is writing a letter to Timothy and says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from when? When? since you were a child, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Who, who taught him the scriptures from childhood? His grandmother, his mother. Now, I got to tell you today, I am thankful. Today, I just on, on this week of Thanksgiving, I'm going to tell you something I'm thankful for. I am so thankful that my parents taught me the holy scriptures as a child. They didn't give me an option. They didn't give me an option. They didn't come in and say, Terry, would you like to read the Bible? Terry would have said, no. My parents made me memorize Scripture. Now at the time, it did not seem pleasant or fun. It seemed like a modern form of child abuse to me. But now when I look back, you know what those scriptures they wrote that that I memorized and wrote upon my heart. I can quote them today. I may quote them from King James version, but I can quote them. I am thankful that I was taught the holy scriptures. Even as a small child, there is such value to learning the scriptures when you are young. You know, the value of having your children in the church on a weekly basis, to have them in Sunday school, to have them in youth groups, is they're going to be taught the Scriptures. I heard a funny story. A young woman teacher. A woman teacher in a public school. who had very liberal tendencies. And she explains to her class of very small children that one day she just feels the need to announce that she, a public school teacher, she is an atheist. She asked her class if they are atheists. These little kids. She asked her class if they are atheists, but they don't even know what atheism even means, but wanting to please their teacher, all their hands shot up except one little girl. One exception. A beautiful girl named Lucy had not gone along with the crowd The teacher asked her why she decided to be different, Lucy. Because I'm not an atheist, Lucy said. Then the teacher says, well, what are you, Lucy, if you're not an atheist? And Lucy said, I am a Christian. By this time, the teacher's a little perturbed. Her face becomes slightly red. Actually, she's a little embarrassed that there's one little kid in the class that's not going along with her. So she asked Lucy, why are you a Christian? Well, Lucy said, I was brought up knowing and loving Jesus. My mom is a Christian and my dad is a Christian, so... I am a Christian. The teacher at this point is not only embarrassed but angry. That's no reason. That's no reason, she says loudly. What if your mom was a moron? And what if your dad was a moron? And little Lucy says, I I guess I'd be an atheist. (laughs) There is great value to learning the Holy Scriptures as a child. The women in Timothy's family, his mother and his grandmother, were preparing Timothy for his future. I don't think they knew that. I don't think they knew that he would become a great preacher in the first century church. But they were laying the foundation to Timothy's life Looking back at my own life, I'm convinced that my grandfather had an incredible impact upon me. I remember my grandfather loved the Scriptures. He absolutely loved them, and he studied them, and he memorized them. And he would sit in the front yard, and I would go and visit with him, and he would quote the Scripture and challenge me to memorize Scripture. Like Lois and grandmother of Timothy, you know what? I don't think he recognized what God had in in mind for me in the future. But God was working something out. My grandfather's knowledge and love of the Scriptures inspired me. Even though I admit, at the time, he used to wear me out with them. But they also inspired me. Timothy was going to join Paul on this mission trip. It would forever change his life. I've known a lot of people who have gone on mission trips and they have never, ever, ever been the same. In fact, after I preached this sermon in the first service, I had a a man come down and he was telling me how years ago he had gone on a mission trip to Haiti and never, ever, ever he said, will I ever be the same? We've got 10 people from this church heading to Haiti the day after Christmas this year. Why? Most of them have done it before. Most of them have taken uh, mission trips before. Why? Because they recognize there's something about going on these trips that changes you from the inside out. Timothy is about to join the Apostle Paul on what we call the second missionary journey to the Gentile world. Forever changing the lives of countless others. Then Paul does something before they depart on the mission trip. He does something... That surprises many people. Including myself. Verse 3. So Paul wanted him, Timothy, to join them on their journey in deference or in consideration to the Jewish people. He arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that Timothy's father was a Greek or a Gentile. Do you see it? I'm going to ask you. They were delivering the message of the Jerusalem Council. I hope you were here last week, or it's going to be difficult to fill in the blanks. Paul was delivering the message of the Jerusalem Council that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, they don't have to become Jewish to become Jesus followers. And yet, in the middle of that, what's he have Timothy do? He wants Timothy to be circumcised. It almost seems inconsistent. And by the way, let me say something clear. This is quite a big and painful decision for an adult male with flint knives and no anesthesia. This is a big, painful decision. Is Paul being inconsistent, or is there something else going on in this scene in Acts 16? It was Paul at Antioch. That originated the claim that Christians do not need to become Jewish. They do not have to obey the law of Moses. They do not have to have this mark, this physical mark of circumcision that all Jews had to have. You don't have to do that. So, why is Paul now requiring Gentile born Timothy to be circumcised before joining the mission trip? Do you know? He did it in deference to the Jews. He did it in consideration of the Jews. He did it knowing that very soon, Paul is going to be taking this Gentile-born Timothy into a Jewish synagogue, and he knows that the Jews are not going to accept him unless he's been circumcised. The Jews all knew. The Bible says they all knew that Timothy was born of a Gentile family. And from Paul's perspective, this was going to be a showstopper. This was going to be a stumbling block to the preaching of the gospel. This is going to be a problem. Paul loved the Jews and Paul was Jewish. And he wanted the Jews to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the point. Paul would do anything. Paul would do anything to be able to bring the Jewish people to Christ. To knowledge of the Messiah. He would do anything. To get them to listen to the gospel message. Even circumcise his young friend, Timothy. Whatever it takes. That's the title of today's message. Whatever it takes. There's a couple of guys that wanted to go to this certain restaurant. So they were out one day together and they they wanted to go and eat at this restaurant. But there was a problem. They were standing there with both of them had been out walking their dogs. They're standing on the sidewalk outside this popular restaurant. One man has a Doberman and the other man has a Chihuahua. The man with the Doberman says, come on, let's go into the restaurant. Let's share a meal together in this fabulous restaurant. I've always been wanting to go there. The man with the Chihuahua says, they're not going to let us in that restaurant. We've got dogs with us. They don't allow dogs in that restaurant. The man with the doberman says, just follow my lead. He places sunglasses on his eyes and he walks to the front door. The restaurant doorman stops him and says, we do not allow pets inside the restaurant. The man with the doberman says, he's my C&I dog. The doorman says, I'm sorry, come on in. The man standing off at the distance watching with the chihuahua also says, "Huh." So he puts on dark glasses, walks over to the same doorman. The doorman stops him and says the same thing. Sir, we do not allow pets inside this restaurant. The man replies, This is my seeing eye dog. The doorman kind of shocked says, You have a chihuahua for a seeing eye dog? And the guy says, they gave me a chihuahua? (laughs) Whatever it takes. You see, the point that we're going to address today is God is a for whatever it takes God. And he's looking for some followers who are whatever it takes people. They don't draw any boundaries. They don't have any what ifs. Lord, I'll serve you if. Lord, I'll serve you when. Lord, I'll serve you. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I have surrendered my life into your hands, whatever it takes. That's what's taking place as Gentile-born Timothy is circumcised. Now, this is a big point today, and a point that many in the self centered American church are struggling with. In this room today, I assure you there are many people struggling with this simple truth that our calling to follow Christ is anything and everything, it's whatever it takes. Let me me pause in the story in Acts 16 and let's go to Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Even though, Paul says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people. Why? I am free. Jesus has set me free from the bondage of sin and death. Even though I am free, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ When I was with the Jews, Paul is Jewish. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Whatever it takes. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. Verse 21, when I was with the Gentiles. Who do not follow the Jewish law. I live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And when I am with those who are weak. Whatever it takes. And when I am with those who are weak. I share in their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes I try to find common ground. Whatever it takes. I try to find common ground with everyone. Doing everything I can do. What? To save some. Some. Will He save them all? No. But He'll save some. I do everything to spread the good news. And to share in the blessings. Whatever it takes. Is Paul compromising on the truth to spread the gospel? No. No, He's not. The Gospel message is not about whether or not you've been circumcised. No. But do you believe that Jesus is who He says He is? Do you believe that through the blood of Christ you can be saved, set free from sin and death? You have the resurrection of the dead. Now already you have possessed eternal life. If circumcising Timothy will get them to come to listen to the Gospel... Get ready, Timothy. Listen, here's where he's going. If circumcising Timothy will allow them a platform in the Jewish community to preach the Gospel, they're willing to do it. Whatever it takes. It's not just Timothy. If circumcising Timothy... well, It's not just circumcising Timothy. Paul is going back to the towns that stoned him the first time he was there. Whatever it takes... So, I'm going to pause in the story again, and I'm going to ask everyone in the church today a question. Do you have this type of passion for the lost? Whatever it takes. Because the reality is, you work next to people who are lost, and you live down the street from people who are lost. And you maybe have people in your family who are lost. Today I want to use a phrase, and I want you to think about it. I use it on purpose. You are around the walking dead. They're walking, and they look alive, but unless something changes in their future, it's eternal death, eternal separation from God. Do you care? Do you bear any responsibility in your life to share the gospel? Do you bear any responsibility as a child of God To share the life, to speak life, to speak the words of life into those who do not have life. What would you do? What would you give up to save some? Can I reveal a truth today? We are all on a mission trip right now. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you're on a mission trip. You don't have to go to Haiti to be on a mission trip. You don't have to go to Thailand to be on a mission trip. You don't have to go to Japan or Russia to be on a mission trip. This past week, this past month, this past year, you and I are on a mission trip. Now I'll ask the question again, what would you do? What would you give up? Do you have any responsibility to share the life, to speak life into the walking dead? Paul is not being inconsistent. Paul is carrying the message of life and death to the walking dead. This is serious stuff. And let me ask you today, is this how you think? Because what I'm about to read, Galatians 6.14, another writing of the Apostle Paul. This is a whatever it takes kind of a life. Galatians 6.14, Paul says, ask for me. I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus. Because of that cross, my interest, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. You know what Paul's saying? My life's plan is not the accumulation of wealth. It is not the accumulation of more and more and more stuff. It's not the accumulation of whatever. Because of the cross, my desire, my my passion for this world is gone. And the world's interest in me is also died. It doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether or not you've been transformed into what? A new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live, who live by these principles, because they are the new people of God. Is that you? This is how the new people of God think. And I'm going to ask you a question. What would you do with that verse today? This is how the new people of God think. My interest in the world has been crucified. And understanding when, I, when that happens, the world's interest in me has also been crucified. So Paul has Timothy circumcised. And they take off to spread the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit. They take off this plan. Here's the plan. To speak life into the walking dead. People who don't know. They don't even know they're the walking dead. But he's speaking life. Paul would take Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, Timothy, Silas, Priscilla, and Aquila with him on this second missionary journey. And to my amazement, when you go back and read the details of the book of Acts, He will travel some 2,800 miles. No airplanes, no cars, no trains. This man will travel 2,800 miles and preach the gospel from Syria into modern day Turkey all the way into Athens, Greece. Whatever it takes. Paul would bring the gospel. Listen, he would bring the gospel. This one man would bring the gospel into Europe to your ancestors and to mine. We are today affected by what that one man did. The gospel of Jesus Christ went to Europe. Whatever it takes. That's his plan. Whatever it takes. He was willing to give that he might save some. Whatever it takes so that he could speak life into those who are dead. Would you join this church? I'm describing to you the real church. I'm describing to you, not the modern American church, I'm describing to you the church of Jesus Christ in the first century. Would you join this church? This whatever it takes church? Are you sure? You are on this mission trip right now, whether you know it or not. You're already on a mission trip. When you came to Christ, you connected your life to His life. And He's on a mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So that everyone might know there is eternal life in the name of Christ. Is there another? If you say, I don't want to to join that church, but I'd like to join a church. Is there another one? Whatever it takes. Does that describe you? Be honest. Think about Timothy and that flint knife. Whatever it takes. Think about Paul going back into Lystra where they stoned him. Thought they'd killed him. Whatever it takes. Is it safe? You know, the idea that when you look at Timothy in this adult male circumcision, is that safe? And I look at Paul going back into Lystra, is that safe when they stoned you the first time? Listen, church, it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Is it safe to be a follower of Christ in a world that doesn't receive Christ? It's the wrong question. Let's turn the question upside down. Is it safe for you to reject Christ? Is that safe? Verse 4. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. Here they go. They take off. The church is growing, whatever it takes. You've heard me say on multiple occasions here, God did not call me to grow a church. I will admit something today. I have no idea how to grow a church. I got no clue. If you think I have this idea about how to grow a church, you you don't know me very well. God called me to preach the gospel. He'll grow the church. He'll grow the church. Paul wasn't called to grow the church. He was called to preach the gospel. There's a difference. One is based upon your methods or your ideas or your cleverness or your hard work, the other is based on the Holy Spirit and the will of God. Paul gets stoned and he goes back into the same town, whatever it takes. Timothy submits his body to very painful adult circumcision, whatever it takes. They've been run out of more towns than you and I can imagine. And what was the result of this whatever it takes attitude? What's the result? Next verse, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew larger every day. It grew larger every day. All in, whatever it takes. It's not the power of Paul. It's not the power of Timothy. It's not the power of Silas. It's the power of God. It's the power of God preached through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God revealed by the preaching of God's Word by the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going, verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia. I still cannot say that word. Phrygia. I think it's where they invented refrigerators, maybe. Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Do you see? How do they know where to go? They're starting this second missionary journey. How do you know? Did God send them a letter? You go here, you go here. No, as they move every day, God directs their steps in a new direction. It says the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Verse 7, Then coming to the border of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Notice the word Holy Spirit and the word Spirit of Jesus are used in the same sense. Because they are the same person. If you look back in the Old Testament, how did Moses know how to get out of Egypt? How did he know the way of the promised land? How did he know the mission of God, the call of God? This one guy, how in the world is he going to take two million people across the wilderness into the promised land? The Bible says that God sent a pillar of fire at night. And he sent a pillar of cloud in the day. And you just followed the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. But in the, in the New Testament, how is he doing it? The Holy Spirit is guiding Paul's steps. And I'm going to tell you, church, he's still doing it today. He does it for these people. The whatever it takes people, he's still guiding them today. He's showing them where to go. Paul is so in touch with the Holy Spirit that his very steps were determined by Christ himself. How? How? by living a whatever-it-takes life, by being fully surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit, by not putting up some kind of a, a guardrail. God, I'll follow You, but I'm not going any further than that. Lord, I'm with You, but... No, that's not whatever it takes. Then Paul actually has a vision. He sees something while he sleeps at night. Does God do that? God does that. Verse 9, that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him. I don't know why, but every time I read that, I see a, 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 a walking dead person in, Ma, in Macedonia crying out to Paul. Pleading with him, come over to Macedonia to help us. Someone is asking for life. They don't have life in Macedonia. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us. God was called, this dream, God was calling us to preach the good news in Macedonia. But we weren't going to Macedonia. You are now. Whatever it takes. I'm going to tell you something, church. When you become a follower of Christ, when you're born again of the water and the Spirit, your schedule belongs to Him, it does not belong to you anymore. He can interrupt your schedule, your day, your planner, anytime he wants to because he's God, right? Paul wasn't going to Macedonia, but he is going to Macedonia. And we think somehow that only applies to Paul. Who's in charge of your schedule? Paul would say, I've never been to Macedonia, Lord. And God's answer would be, whatever it takes, Paul, at once. The Bible says at once, I'm assuming the next morning they change all their plans. They cross the Aegean Sea to preach the gospel to a people who have never, ever heard the word Jesus. Whatever it takes. Paul has entered Eastern Europe. He's going to preach near the areas we know today as Albania, Bulgaria, and Serbia. That's over a thousand miles from Jerusalem. Whatever it takes. Verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed in Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. Whatever it takes. What about the language barriers? Whatever it takes. Who has a map? Whatever it takes. They are led and empowered By the Holy Spirit. But it's about to get interesting. So hold on. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. And one of them was Lydia of Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. Who worshipped God. That's interesting. Worship God. Which God? Whose God? She doesn't know about Christ. She worshipped God. And she, as she listened to us, Paul and Silas, the Lord did something that you cannot do for yourself. The Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household and she asked us... Be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Who's doing this? Let's pause in the story again. Who's doing this? Who's doing all this? They're on a riverbank a thousand miles from home and they tell Lydia from Thyatira about Jesus. And suddenly she believes them. Why would she believe them? She doesn't know them. Why suddenly does she believe Jesus is Messiah? Who's doing this? God's doing this. Many people believe that Lydia was perhaps the first converted Christian in all of Europe. Who's doing this? The Lord opened her heart. They baptized her there in that river. Who's doing this? Then suddenly an opening happened. Do you see it? Because I'm going to tell you, unless you look for it, you'll never see it. Something has happened. A doorway has opened into this community. It has started with one woman named Lydia. And through that, God is opening a door through one woman. Her name is Lydia. This is going to be easy now, right? We've converted one. It's going to be easy. You'd be wrong. Next verse. One day as we were going down... To the place of prayer, we met a demon possessed slave girl. That ought to be your first sign of trouble. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us. And she followed Paul and Silas and his crew. And she shouted, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, I got to ask you. Why in the world would a demon-possessed woman say that over and over and over? Because that's what she does. She just starts following him, and over and over, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. Why? Have the demons become evangelistic? No. Do you think the demons don't believe in God? Sometimes even demons can tell the truth. You know what I want you to see? Do you see the power of God over Satan? Can you see it? Because I'm going to tell you, God is about to do a work in Macedonia. He's about to send the Word into Europe. And when He does, Satan will not be able to stand against it. In fact, what God's going to do is He's going to have the demons proclaim it. They can't even stop it. Next verse. This went on day after day. What this woman keeps saying that over and over, day after day, until Paul gets so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out! Enough! Come out of her. And instantly the demon left her. Whatever it takes. Do you see it? Whatever it takes. This demon possessed woman had been set free, so surely everybody's going to be happy, right? She's demon possessed. Do you know what possessed means? He's got you. You belong to him. You're his possession. That's what possessed means. You're his possession. So surely when this woman's set free, everybody's going to clap and cheer, right? No, no, no. That's not how it works. This is good news. No, not if you're the demon-possessed woman's master. Demons are in town. They're in Macedonia. And they are not neutral. They are under the authority of Satan and they are real. The spirit of Antichrist is in Macedonia. The spirit of Antichrist is in America. The Apostle John makes it clear that the spirit of Antichrist is real. It is to work against the power of Christ. The word anti-Christ, anti means against Christ. It's real. Here it comes, verse 19. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. Tell me the spirit of Antichrist is not working in Macedonia because of these Jews. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. These Jews. Do you think that's coincidental, that little phrase, these Jews? Satan hates the Jewish people. The Jewish people delivered this. It was through the Jewish people that God delivered the Word. It was through the Jewish people in the Old Testament that He revealed Yeshua, Jehovah, Jehovah the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by the way, Jesus is Jewish because of these Jews. They stripped Paul and Silas naked, beat them with wooden rods, whatever it takes, right? You see, up to this point, this whatever it takes. You know, it's easy to say whatever it takes as long as things are going good, but when they pull out the wooden rods, is it still whatever it takes? In jail a thousand miles from home, whatever it takes, What about your Jesus now? They've stripped you. They've beaten you. You're in an inner dungeon of a cell a thousand miles from home. How will you ever get out? And I remember these words. Push pause on Acts 16 and go back to the the calling of Saul on the road to Damascus. And God comes to Ananias and says, I want you to deliver a message to Paul. Deliver this message. I will show Here's the message. Tell him, I will show you how much you will suffer for my name. Whatever it takes. Would you join this church? I will show you how much you will suffer for my name. Would you join this church? Is it safe? I'm telling you it's the wrong question. Is it safe to not join this church? Is that safe? What about the Macedonian man dream now? I see Paul and Silas in this Roman dungeon, and Paul has in his mind the vision of a Macedonian man saying, Come save us, Paul. What about that vision now? I got some good news. Right about now in the story, you need some good news, right? I got some good news for those of you in this room right now that if you'd be honest, you're struggling with this issue right now you're struggling the Holy Spirit has gone to jail with Paul and Silas did you hear me I got some good news the Holy Spirit has gone into that inner dungeon cell with Paul and Barnabas God doesn't just ask us to take a whatever it takes attitude God takes a whatever it takes attitude first And the Holy Spirit has gone into that jail with Paul and Silas. And the Holy Spirit cannot be bound. He cannot be bound. They might bind us, but you cannot bind the Spirit of Christ. Did you really think the Spirit of Christ was going to wait outside? Do you really think when you're called into a time of suffering that the Spirit of Christ is going to separate from you and wait outside? He goes with you. Before God ever asked Terry Cooper to do whatever it takes, he became a whatever-it-takes God. Next verse, 25, about midnight. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Don't, Don't miss it. They're singing, and the other guys are listening. Whether they think they're crazy or not, I don't know. The other prisoners are listening. And suddenly there's a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors, all the doors immediately flew open and the chains, not just to Paul and Silas, the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Do you see the Holy Spirit? Whatever it takes... The Spirit is inside of Paul and Silas and they're singing so that the other people can hear the joy of being known as a child of God. The Spirit shakes the earth and locked doors come open. Who's doing this? Chains fall off. Who's doing this? Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, excuse me. They're they're not doing it. Remember, this is a Roman colony which tells me if you're a jailer in a Roman colony and your prisoners escape, you're going to die a brutal death. So what is the Spirit of Christ doing there that night? Come on, what is He doing? Whatever it takes. It would be better for the jailer to kill himself than to fall under the torture of the Roman government for losing these prisoners. Next verse. But Paul shouted to the jailer, Stop Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and he ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, Sirs, don't don't read over it. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you see it? Do you see who's doing all this? The Spirit of Christ Think about the circumstance that has brought this jailer to his knees before Paul and Silas. Think about the series of seemingly out-of-control events. Do you think it seemed out of control when they stripped them naked? Do you think it seemed out of control when they beat them with rods? Do you think it seemed out of control when they put them on the inner dungeon in stocks? Doesn't it seem out of control? Is it out of control? No. Because I'm going to tell you the result. The result is the jailer has now bowed in front of Paul and Silas and said these words that will change his eternity. What must I do to be saved? Here's my question. I don't know the answer, but it's a question. Was he the Macedonian in the vision who cried out, come over and save us? I don't know. He's one of them. So I'm going to push pause again in the story and ask you a question. What about your life? To everybody in the room today, I'm going to ask you a question. Serious question. I've already told you, you're on a mission trip right now. Maybe you didn't know it until today, but you're on a mission trip. If you've come to Christ, you're on a mission trip. If you connect your life to Jesus, you're on a mission trip. You are not idle. You are not neutral. So here's the question. What about your seemingly out of control life? What about your seemingly out of control circumstances? Can you see that God's putting all the pieces of that together? And he wants to bring glory out of whatever it takes. I love this next part. Verse 31. The jailer has asked the question, what should we do? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Along with everyone in your household. That's it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with Him. And with all who lived in His household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then He... And everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Can we wait till morning? No, this is so incredible. I can't wait till morning. They're baptized in the middle of the night. He brought them into his house, and he set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced. Why? Because they all believed in God. Through these incredible, terrible circumstances, this entire man's family has come to eternal life in Christ. What must I do to be saved from the walking dead? Believe that Jesus is who He says He is. And here they are in a Bible study in the middle of the night. Could you have predicted that? And here they are in a Bible study in the middle of the night. Whatever it takes. And the jailer becomes their nurse. And everyone in the jailer's family is baptized. Whatever it takes. Do you think Paul went to Macedonia with this plan? Anybody think Paul went to Macedonia with this plan? He saw the vision. Let's go to Macedonia. I'll tell you what we'll do. Silas, we'll go to Macedonia. We'll get arrested. We'll get stripped naked. We'll let them beat us. We'll get in the jail. And in the jail, guess what? We'll cause an earthquake and everybody will be saved. Nobody would ever make up such a crazy plan, right? But God did. That's why we must come to this conclusion whatever it takes. Do not look at your circumstances and draw a line around the power of God. Do not look at your life story and say, God, I know you can't go beyond that. We must come to this conclusion, whatever it takes. If not, we'll be tempted to see our circumstances as failure when they are actually moments of victory. Because I'm telling you today, God is a whatever it takes, God. And if you've ever doubted that to be true, I want you to know that He gave His one and only Son, whatever it takes, to redeem you from the grave. Whatever it takes. I close with this. Do you know what just happened in Macedonia? It's not easily noticed, but do you know what happened in Macedonia? There's a church in Macedonia. Do you know that? Oh, they don't have a building and they don't have a steeple, but there's a church in Macedonia. A doorway for the Gospel has been opened in Macedonia. An open door that no one can close. You know why? Because Jesus has just opened a door. And if you don't think that's how it works, Jesus in the book of Revelation writes a, a note. John writes a note from Jesus to the church at Philadelphia about this door that He opens. And by the way, somewhere in your life He opened a door. You would not be here had he not opened the door. Here's what he says. Revelation 3.7 Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, his name is Jesus. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. And you have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word. And you did not deny me. You did not deny my name. Jesus opened a door in Macedonia for the gospel to come through. No one can close that door. And the church in any town, listen, listen, listen. The church in any town, the true church in any town has power. And God has placed His power inside a church in Macedonia. And God has placed His power inside a church in Lawrenceburg. Next verse, verse 35, the next morning. You don't believe there's power? You don't think when God opened the door that power came to Macedonia? Let me show it to you. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let Paul and Silas go. Let these men go. What changed? You stripped them and beat them yesterday. What changed? Let these men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. First, it is supernatural in itself. The officials have been influenced by God to let them go in the morning. Secondly, Paul is given authority in the eyes of city officials. Do you see it? Next verse, verse 37. Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now, they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves and release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas Silas were Roman citizens. So they, the city officials, came to the jail and apologized to the guys that they beat yesterday. There's power in Macedonia. God has opened a door. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. And then they left town. Is this why God called Paul to Macedonia in a dream? Yes, whatever it takes. The leaders of that town didn't know Paul before, but they know him now, and now they're apologizing to him. God has planted a church in Macedonia. He certainly did it. Paul and Silas go back to Lydia's house and they celebrate this whatever it takes God that they all serve. And I'm going to pause and ask this big question. Here we go and I'm going to wrap it up. Listen, what are you going today to do with Acts chapter 16? I know what I'm going to do with it. What are you going to do with it? You've heard this story of the whatever it takes God who calls whatever it takes followers. What are you going to do with them? I'll admit to you that I would not have used these methods to start a church in Macedonia. It would not have been how I would have done it. But I know this God is a whatever it takes God. And He has asked me to be a whatever it takes Jesus follower that will fulfill this mission of this calling by the Holy Spirit. Whatever it takes. Here's the last scene today. Would you put up this picture? I will never forget the first time I saw this picture. It's a picture of 21 Egyptian Christians lined up in orange suits in Libya on the beach of the Mediterranean Sea. That's been almost four years ago now. And probably most of you do not know the whole story. I'd like to close with that story when ISIS published the video of mass beheadings, when they published this scene, there was one face among the Egyptians who no one could identify. It was later learned that he was from an African from Chad. His name is Matthew Ayarga, who had migrated to Libya to find work. He was not a Christian at all. For reasons that are not clear, he had been swept up with the 20 Egyptian Coptic Christians and marched to that beach to die. A yarga knelt in his orange suit at the end of the line as ISIS executioners asked each Christian to reject Christ. Each one by one, one by one, so the others had to listen. Each one, one by one, they were asked Will you reject Christ? And when they refused, they cut their heads off. Finally, the butchers reached Yarga. Although he was not a Christian, they demanded he reject the Christian God. So here's what they said. Do you reject Christ, they ask, Having observed the faith and the courage of the egyptian christians throughout this whole ordeal ayarga was deeply moved by the unbending power of their faith at that moment he knew at that moment ayarga knew that he wanted what they had more than life itself he calmly confessed to his captors these words Their God is my God. And they cut his head off. Whatever it takes. This is not some meaningless slogan on a Sunday sermon. This is the way of life for those who will follow Christ. Christians in America are struggling with 50% attendance to a church service in a safe place on Sunday morning. And i got to tell you, I have studied the book of Acts, and the American church looks nothing like the church in the Bible. Nothing. Nothing. And if a time of suffering comes upon this lackadaisical American church, many will fall away and be lost forever. Whatever it takes. We serve a whatever it takes, God. But I'm going to tell you, serving that whatever it takes, God, means that our heart declares these truths. Whatever it takes, I will follow you. No boundaries, no limitations, no what-ifs, no buts. Whatever it takes. Is that you? Could you be honest with yourself today? Is that you? Because the reality is, most in the American church, that's not you. And the evidence of that, we're struggling. You know, half of the church attends church half of the time. That's not whatever it takes. It's not about church attendance any more than it was about Jewish circumcision. It's about who you are in Christ. So I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to do what only your Holy Spirit does. Open our hearts to see. Let the wind blow and let the fire burn in Jesus' name. We're going to sing an invitation. The Holy Spirit is convicting you today of anything. The answer is yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's stand.